Good morning. It's uh, good to be uh, back with our Lake City family again uh, today. Uh, I managed to come in a few days early, had some other meetings, doing some things with the CAN team. So I've run into a number of people at the church and I've had, I don't know, 35 people ask me the same question. So for those of you that uh, know us, the answer to the question is no, I didn't bring my wife and kids. I'm sorry. Uh, we couldn't get away uh, from them, but they all send their love. For those of you that don't uh, know me and our, our family, uh, my wife grew up here in this church. Uh, got her call to missions in this church, and I used to be able to say right here at this altar, knelt to give her life to missions, but with the new sanctuary, it's some, some place here that she knelt. But this is holy ground for us. This is uh, uh, places that we feel very attached to, and, and so I'm, uh, I'm uh, the house brother, uh, son-in-law. Uh, married into the family uh, here. So it's great to be with you this morning. Usually when I'm preparing a message, I, I, this, the Lord usually speaks to me something else, you know, going on. Maybe it's in my devotions that the Lord is really starting to stir some things up in me and I want to preach about that. Or as I get an invitation, I have a real sense that the Lord wanted to, to say something in that context. And, and this one, I, I really, as we prepared to come out, and we've known for several months I was going to be out here or, or longer, and, and the Lord just didn't really have anything on my heart. And so I felt the Holy Spirit just stirring me up to say, well, why don't, why don't you find out what's going on already? Why don't you find out what they're preaching at? So I went online, I listened to Pastor Reg, and listened to Pastor David and, and uh, Pastor Jim last week, and thought, you know what, I, I really think the Holy Spirit wants us to continue in Malachi, and to continue to preach out of Malachi. Malachi is a, is a great book, and if you missed uh, Pastor Jim last week, I really encourage you to go online, listen to his sermon. He nailed it. I listened to it and thought, I don't know what I'm going to say after that. That was a great sermon uh, out of Malachi. We're going to dip into some of the verses that he touched uh, last week, and we're going to launch out of there into our message uh, this morning. One of the things that uh, Pastor Jim said, this is really the message you saw is about uh, today will be honoring God large, but the whole thing is the heart, the, the issues of the art. That uh, This is uh, the book of Malachi addresses, God's addressing his people and addressing issues of their heart that are coming out in their behavior. And as Pastor Jim said, it's really about complacency. The people of God not responding to God with any passion. They're just going through the motions. And they're not really uh, serving him out of, uh, out of a heart of love for him. You know, there was a, um, a woman, um, a mom that's getting their son up for church in the morning. She knocks on his door and said, it's time to get up for church. And he goes, I'm not going today. And she said, well, why aren't you going today? He said, well, I'll give you two reasons. First, none of those people there like me. Two, I don't like any of them either. Mom calls back and says, well, I got two reasons I think you ought to go to church today. She says, first, you're 54 years old and you're the pastor. <laughs> so maybe you come up and say, you know, I can sort of identify with the complacency that is described in the book of Malachi. When I was a younger Christian and I would read about the disciples, I used to think, man, those guys are dense. How many times did Jesus tell him he was going to die and get risen from the dead? Or, you know, Jesus, should we bring down fire and french fry these Samaritans right here? And I think, oh, that's, how can they not get what Jesus is about? And I'd read about the things that Paul would say in the church and the kind of sins that people were doing and thinking, wow, those guys are messed up. Now that I'm older, I sort of identified with the stupid apostles. Like, yeah, I, God, I just don't get it. You've told me this over and over again, and I'm still not getting it. So if you're today, and maybe you're saying, well, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I ought to be doing better, or, you know, my parents have a heritage, and, and I shouldn't be complacent, or I've been in the church, or I've been an elder, or I've been on missions, whatever you want to bring to the table. But if you recognize this, in your heart that you feel like, I'm just not red hot anymore. i got good message, got news for you today. We're going to touch some things that I believe that the Holy Spirit 
will allow those of us that are feeling that place of lack of passion for Jesus that he'll restore us. And those of you that are already red hot, well, we'll just launch you on your way into great things for Jesus. So we're going to go to Malachi, start in chapter 1. And we're going to pick up on four key words in these verses. And I want you, you probably will be able to figure out which four ones. I was told by Tom, he said his daughter, they try to, one of the things that she does is write down the, the words that are repeated in sermons as a way to track what the guy's saying. He told me I repeated two of my key words 40 times each. So you'll probably figure out what the key word is. The first one, Malachi, I am a father. Where is the honor due me? Now, this is a legitimate question, really. If God is who he says he is, and I'm a father, if you say I'm a father, if you say I'm a master, where's the honor due to me? And, G and Pastor Jim said yesterday, or last week, that word honor, kabod, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so humor you if you are. Uh, I just like to play with words and get all this stuff online. But I like to look at what words mean. Kabod has this idea of heavy or weighty in the sense of value. So the idea of honor is weight and value. Where's the weight and value that you ought to place on me if I'm really a father? When we first moved to Kazakhstan like 25 years ago, uh, the whole infrastructure had collapsed. The Soviet Union had, was no more, and so they, they had no way hardly to feed their people. <clears throat> so when you went to the markets, there was very little to buy, and we needed a telephone. So we went to the market, and we're looking for telephones, and at that time, there was only like two things you could buy. It's either made in Russia, or the former Soviet or it's made in China. And there's nothing else there. So we're there. We have two telephones to choose from. We pick up the Chinese one. It's, it's, it almost breaks in your hands. It's so light. It's so fragile. And then we pick up the Russian-made telephone. And it's this nice, strong, very firm thing. So, well, that's the one we're going to get. We take that home. Take it home, set it on the stand. It falls off uh, one down to the ground, and it breaks open. And the bottom, on the bottom there, they had glued a big hunk of metal onto the bottom of the stand so that when you picked it up, it felt like... This is a great telephone. It's really got something to it. Yeah, so we identify weight with value with honor. And so the Lord is saying, look, where's my weight? Where's my value? Where's my honor? If I'm really a father, if I'm really a master, I should expect some honor out of this. And so he's pointing to the heart of the And the second one he says in Malachi also in chapter 1 and verse 11, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun till its setting in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. So that, that speaks of this priestly role that the, the people were to have among the nations to, to pray and show Jesus who they are. It says, because my name will be great among the nations. That's the same word up there in the very first sentence. My name will be great among the so Twice in this verse he repeats that my name will be great among the nations. Well, I looked up that word too. And... Uh, my name will be great among the nations. So if you, if you go to one of these online things, what you can see is that these, this Hebrew word, the different ways that it's translated. So the main way it's translated is the word great, just like it's translated here. But the second way that it's translated most often is large. My name will be large among the nations, which is where we get the sermon in case you haven't put that together. Yeah, I just, you know, I just... You wonder where I honor God large, this is it. Honor God's great. Honor God. So the second most used word is large. My name will be large among the nations. And the third word I love, this word in Hebrew is translated. The third most often way it's translated is loud. Loud. My name will be loud among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be large. I love that. Large, loud, great. So God wants to be great among the nations. Now, We'll pick up the, the next verse. So here's the word great again. For I am a great, large, loud king, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is to be feared 
among the nations. I looked up the word fear. Do you know what it means? Afraid. Fear. Yeah, just, just like it is the majority of the time. And if you're a preacher, you always say, now listen, because fear is not a cool word, you know. I've not been given the spirit of fear, and so uh, we're, we're want to really emphasize the love of God, which the love of God is magnificent. But here he says, my name is to be a fear, feared among the nations. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your walk with the Lord. If you walked with the Lord for a while, you should have experienced a time where you went, wow, God is not me. God is something entirely different. So the disciples, they're walking with Jesus every day. They're eating with him. They're talking with him. They're hearing him teaching. They're on the sea with him, and a big storm comes up, and Jesus says to the sea, be still, stop it. And it goes completely still. And Mark says it this way. The disciples turned and said to one another, who the heck is this guy? That he commands the wind and the waves and they stop. And it says they were terrified. They went, he looks like us. He speaks with the human voice. But that guy, he's something. That Jesus, he's a great king. This sense that we've kind of lost a little bit in America because we don't have kings, we don't have masters. But this is a very real, we lived in Kazakhstan and, and as Muslims started to come to the Lord, which naturally falls on the heels of, of people becoming followers of Jesus is persecution. And so persecution wasn't, wasn't everywhere, but it, uh, it was always a part of the experience for a Muslim to become a follower of Jesus. And we had this lady, and she was telling us, she was from a village, she was sharing her testimony, and her husband was there uh, with her. And she was saying that when she became a follower of Jesus, her, her husband was just merciless in persecution against her. She, her husband would beat her and would find her praying or singing. He would just beat her until she was black and blue. He would uh, tear up their Bible and throw it into the fire and she'd have to she'd get a new one. Sometimes she'd try and go to a prayer meeting or meet with other followers of Jesus and he'd lock her in the house. And she said, uh, I, she was telling us about this one time that I was praying and I just was so filled with, with gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. I was just singing in the house and it was winter and he grabbed me by my hair and he pulled me outside in the snow and, and just left me. There in the snow, and she goes, and I really don't remember anything. I just remember getting up and continuing to sing and going to one of my neighbor's house to get, to get warm. And she said, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, my husband woke up in the night screaming. He said, help me, help me, help me. And he said, my arms and legs don't move. I can't move my arms and my legs. And he'd had like a, a dream, but more like an open vision where Jesus said, why are you resisting me. And he said to his wife, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please pray for me. And she prayed for him, and in the next week, a feeling came back in his, in his hands, and he could move his hands again, but he didn't get his mobility back in his legs. And he's in this meeting, and he's saying, the fear of God fell on me. Well, in this Muslim village, uh, this testimony got out. And we could tell you tons of other stories where persecution happened, and people dropped dead. People dropped dead that were resisting the word of Jesus. And fear fed it. And this is what it said. It says that in the, when the first church started, miracles and signs and wonders were being done, and the people held them in, fought, in awe. They spoke highly of them, but they were afraid to join them. They went, God lives there among those people. We, we don't know what's going to happen if we show up, you know. So there's something about this. But the thing I want to talk about here, just to highlight, so out of this fear, out of this respect, out of this awe, we have a great, great king. A great king, a large king, a loud king, a king worthy. Andrew Murray was a missionary statesman and wrote a number of books, and one of them was called The Key to the Missionary Problem. It was more than 100 years ago. He said, the key to the missionary problem is a personal one. There's so little enthusiasm for the kingdom 
because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. So little enthusiasm for the kingdom because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. See, if we solve this problem today, if you get nothing out of here, if you don't walk away with a passion, the missions to join us to give, but if you get this, I have a great king. And I need to be taken up with this king. Everything else will sort itself out. If your heart moves towards him as a great king, and maybe you're like me and you think, I, I, I'm feeling a waxing, a waning. I'm not in awe. I'm not thinking of him as large, loud, and great. I am just struggling to make means here. You know, one of the couple, just a practical things that really helped me. I like to read the Bible. I love the Bible from Genesis to the maps. It's all good in there. But when I'm struggling about the great king, I just like to read the Gospels. I read about what Jesus did, and, and he raised the widow's son, and, and he quieted the storm, and he spoke to the Pharisees, fearless, you know? And he wasn't afraid of any man. I'm feeling timid. I look at Jesus, and I get inspired, and I think, oh, Jesus, you are such a great king. And so when I get stuck, I read the Gospels, and I get taken up with my great king and the things that he's done. The other thing I do is read about other men and women in faith, men and women that have seen great things and done great things. For God, uh, the great missionary uh, William Carey said, you know, you know, believe great things, uh, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he did great things. And I read those stories and my heart swells and I get a bigger picture of the king. And the last thing, men and women throughout history that have really loved Jesus, they've taken personal communion. In their own times, they get the elements, they get the bread, they get the cup, and they think about it. And when you think about what Jesus did, when you think about his death on the cross, when you think about the suffering, when you think about his blood that was shed and that cleansed you and everything that you got wrapped in, it is pretty hard not to be stirred for the king. Not to go, that's a loud king, that's a great king, that is a large king. And so these things renew us. So there's these things. Where's the honor? Where's the glory? Where's the majesty? Where's the weight do me? says the Father. And he says, because I am a great king. And the fourth thing he said, among the nations. I will be great among the nations. This theme of nations, this is the great stage. Listen, we practice at home, we practice in the church, but the big stage, the big game, it's the nations. It's always been the nations. God in the very beginning, he said, created heavens and the earth. He was over the whole ball of wax. It went south, he gets one man, Abraham, and he says, through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. David falls into sin with Bathsheba. What does God say? Because of what you've done, the nations will blaspheme. See, this whole gig, this whole thing that we do, it takes sight in the nations. We play out this following of Jesus, this great king, in the sight of the nations. So the fourth word repeated over and over again in Malachi is in the midst of the nations. I will be great in the nations. In the sight of the nations, I will do these wonderful things. And if you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, it's all about this. Now, how does this work? Really, practically, how, how is Lake City living out this greatness of the king in the midst of the nations? Well, it's a mystery, but you can, you can figure out the, the negative, how the negative works. So some of you may, I don't even know if I pronounce his name right about America. Is it Jeff Bezos or Bezos? Bezos. Bezos. Dave Bezos, head of Amazon. You may have heard he had just a ridiculously gross affair, getting divorced from his wife. Did it make the big news? Now it's like a blip, you know, it's come here and gone. Why? Nobody really expects. He's a businessman. He doesn't know Jesus. But we, we claim that the living God's in our midst. We claim we serve a king that's risen from the dead, coming back into the judge of the living and the dead. So if one of us messes up, you know it's all over the news. You know they're going to be good. Why? Because we say we know God, the living God. Do you see, see how it plays out inside of the nations? There are people in Kazakhstan that know what pastors have done in America. Because they claim to know God in the same way. When we follow God with a passion and get known, 
We, the name of God gets great in the nations. You may think you're just working here in Lakewood, in, Lake, uh, in Lakewood, uh, Washington. Let me tell you, you're getting famous in the nations. I got a message from a guy named Doug that you have helped here in the Caucasus. And he wrote me this message. He goes, we are so thankful for the Lake City of Body. There are brothers and sisters here that know about you and your prayers and your gifts towards us. And they're thanking God. You're living out in the light of the nations. I'm so great to be here for it. But you want to be more? You want to live bigger? You want to get more? Let's jump to the New Testament. This idea of honor. God says, where is my honor? The New Testament idea of honor is the word glory. It has the same word doxa in English. It has the same idea of weight, of value, of, of, uh, of majesty. Now, we tend to think of glory as like bright, shiny lights. You know, Jesus went up in the mountains, and the disciples saw his glory, meaning like he was glowing in the dark. Okay? Got it. But if we think that's all we think about with glory, we miss the magnitude of it. It says that the word became flesh in John chapter 1, and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. What, what did they see? He was a man. What did they see that was so glorious? In John chapter 2, Jesus turned the water into wine. And it says, this was the first of his miracles, and it revealed his glory to the disciples. He did something. If you remember that miracle, it really wasn't that spectacular. Very few people knew about it. There's a whole bunch of water in the back. Mary says to the guys, do what Jesus says. Jesus says something over the water. He says, take it to the steward. The steward goes, shakazam, that is some good wine there. And he goes and he says to the host of the whole wedding, he goes, this is amazing. He said, most people, they give the good wine. People get a little tipsy. They bring out the bad wine. But you have saved the best wine for last. Now, who knew about that? Just a few people and the disciples. And what John says is this was glory. This was glory. What Jesus did, this act that he did, brought him majesty, value, and honor in the sight of the, um, of the disciples. So in John chapter 17, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of glory. Jesus said twice in John 17 and in John 20, I'm going to send you. So as the Father sent me into the world, remember, okay, the big stage is... The nations, the world. This is being played out in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. So I sent you into the world. I've sent them into the world. And glory has come to me through them. Oh man, I love that. That through us, Jesus gets value and honor and majesty and splendor. Glory comes to Jesus through us. What's the stage? The nations. You want to honor Jesus? Honor the large king, the great king, the loud king. We want to honor him by doing things. How does that look like? How does it practically look like? How does honor get played out to the people? What does glory look like? First of all, uh, you know, I, I got a little excited. Let me just read my notes, see if there's anything I wanted to, to tell you. Just, uh, just hang on just a second here. You know, sometimes it, it doesn't look really spectacular. Uh, there's a missionary in India and he had worked with the governor in this region. They were looking at a way to do a development project. And usually what happens is when the governor or somebody comes to town, you clean up all the things that, that don't look so nice. And that includes the people. So if you've got people that are crippled, you've got people that are diseased, you've got beggars, you clean them all off the streets when the governor comes to town because the governor's only supposed to see the good stuff. So the governor was here with this missionary, was a foreigner, and they were talking about a development project. As they go down the street, the whole kind of delegation comes to a stop because someone has not gotten this, this, para, this boy that's a para, uh, parapoli, uh, quadrup, no, paraplegic, can't, he's, he can't walk, and he's just there, and he's dragging himself along the street, and he's begging. 
And, and of course, this is a shame because the governor, no one's supposed to see with the governor. And the missionary is there, goes over, scoops up the boy in his arms, and he hands him to one of his workers. And then the governor goes on, and, and they uh, keep going on and touring the, the village. And so um, years later, this governor uh, has been quite successful, and he is now elevated to the place of a minister a cabinet level minister and he's in charge of, of foreigners and foreign affairs and, and uh, uh, oversees not only visas but the foreign affairs department people uh, that are coming to India. Now this missionary has been working there for years but his visa has come up and the policies have changed in India right now. It's not favorable towards missionaries, not favorable towards uh, foreigners and so this missionary's his case eventually gets bumped up to this minister and he's standing in this minister's office and, the, and he says uh, why you're here and he explains the visa and he goes I, I've met you before haven't I? Haven't we met before? And Mishnah said, yes, sir, we have met. Uh, years ago, uh, you, were in this, you were governor of this district, and we were helping do some, some projects there for you. And he said, I remember you stopped and picked up a, a boy that was crippled. Where's that boy? Oh, he said, oh, that boy, is, he's at our work. He's there at the school. We've educated him, and he's, he's learning a trade. He, he lives in our, in our community with us. Minister went, here's your visa. Stay as long as you like in my country. Glory. Glory through the gritty details of loving out a life. God can get glory through these things. So how, do we, how does it look out that we would uh, do this? It looks like the people of God doing the works of God by the power of God. You know, I've done this. This is my third service, and I keep looking up there, and it's back there. I could look over there. <laughs> so the people of God doing the works of God by the power of God in the sight of the nation. This is the people of God. Now, I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately, but I wouldn't be uh, my first choice if I was God. Uh, I got something. I don't know that you would be my first choice either if I was God. You know, you look around and think, this doesn't seem like a really great plan. And yet, this is what God has done. He's chosen us to be the instruments of showing his glory, his honor among the nations. Jesus said, and glory came to me through them. So this is always, God is always doing this. Ephesians says, God has chosen the, uh, the church to make the manifold wisdom of God to the authorities and principalities in the heavenly realm. Through the church, through the people of God, God is going to do this crazy, crazy thing in the sight of the nations. He's chosen you and me. We in it. Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Do you know what most of us say? We got some reason to what Jesus said doesn't really mean what the words say. Because that just doesn't make any sense. How can we do greater works? Jesus raised the dead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jesus healed the sick. Uh-huh. Jesus preached to all the villages. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jesus said, I didn't say it. Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do even greater works because I'm going to the Father. So it's the people of God doing the works of God by the power of God. You know, I've heard a lot of sermons, and I probably preach some of these sermons that go something like this. Suck it up, buttercup. Come on. Let's just get tougher for Jesus. You know, it's more like a sports coaching stuff. You get out there, team, and you pray, and you kick some devil's butt, and let's go win some people for Jesus. Yay! You know. Hey, that, that's nothing more than, than, than the flesh. You know, if we could have done that, what do we need Jesus for? 
If we're just on a religious sports team, we just like cheering one another. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need encouragement, and I don't say that we shouldn't be doing stuff, but this is to call us back to Jesus. We do great works for God by the power of God, because if it isn't the power of God, then it's just the work of the flesh. If we do what the world would do without Jesus, why should they praise us? Why should they see honor? Why should we see glory? It's the promises of God that hold the, the possibility of the impossible in the people of God. We've got to do it by the power of God. We've got to do things by the power of God. Uh, did I miss the picture of Africa? No, no, I didn't. Okay, it's coming up. And in the sight of the nations, I already said, this, this thing, it's a mystery. But we do this in the sight of the nations. And because we're called the people of God, he makes himself famous. Now, I took, when I was uh, about 12 years old, I took a karate class because it was open at the, the YMCA. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it except like doing push-ups on the concrete with my knuckles. And uh, I'm not sure what that was all about. I don't know. Uh, but I do remember this one lesson that has stuck with me. And let's just say that this microphone is, is Clint. And I'm going to punch Clint. And so what this guy would say, he says, if I want to punch Clint, I don't think about punching Clint. I think about punching the wall behind Clint. So if Clint is right there, and I go, yeah! See, if Clint's between me and the wall, he feels like he just got hit by a freight train. That's what it means to live in the sight of the nations. We do these things with the thought of my life is going to be impacting the nations. My life is going to help God make famous. So you've got to live in the big context because this is the context from Genesis to Revelation. It's about the people of God doing the works of God by the power of God in the sight of nations so he can get famous. I'm a great king. I'm a great king. And I will be feared among the nations. Who, baby? We need the Holy Spirit to help us do these things. Practically, how do we do this? First, today, we pray large. Remember, the large comes from great. We pray large. We've got a large king. We've got a large, loud king. We pray large. Uh, one, of our, one of our senior missionaries with Global Teams, he works among a Muslim people group in Africa uh, called the Digo. Uh, in the Digo, the man sitting in the middle, this is in the, in the Digo village, he's a, a Muslim imam. Now, in this part of the world and many parts of the world, Islam is mixed with, with shamanism and witchcraft. He's actually like the witch doctor is the best thing, but he's a Muslim witch doctor in the village. So he, he does lots of incantations. People come to him with mental problems or, or spiritual problems, and he, 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 he does his stuff uh, there in the village. So, and, but, but he, and he's also an imam. He also teaches about the Quran. Well, our guy was going through the village, and this guy pulls him aside. And the village guy says, hey, I've seen you here before. You're talking about Jesus. He said, I got a problem. He said, my son is waking up in the middle of the night screaming that there are snakes in his bed. And I go in, and there are snakes in his bed. And I've done everything I can, and I can't get the snakes out. He says, we've actually moved out of the house. We can't even live there anymore. We're over here by the tree. We're sleeping under the tree outside the village because we don't know what to do. Now, I've heard that you believe that there's a God that answers prayer. So can you do anything? Now, this brother said to me, he says, now, he says, honestly, he said, I don't really know how to pray to get rid of snakes. Uh, that's not something I, I've done. He says, now, in Africa, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens with these witch doctors and stuff. And I said to him, absolutely, we'll be back there tomorrow and pray and you'll have no problems. He went to his guys that were with him. He goes, we've got to pray and fast. He goes, I don't know what we're going to do. This, you know, this is a big deal. He's the imam in the village. And so they prayed all night and then he got up the next morning, went out there and he said, I yanked back the sheets of that boy's bed and there was nothing in the bed. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I forbid you snakes from ever coming back here. And this went on for like 30 minutes, he said. The team would kept praying these things. Then they go out to the imam and they go, all right, it's all done. 
You can go back. You're not going to have any problem with snakes. Sure enough, they move back into the house. Something goes like, never has another, sleeps like a baby, just the peace of God resting on this place. Well, you can imagine, this caused quite a bit stir when the imam, you know, can't get rid of the demons in his own house. And the guy that follows Jesus does the whole village. Jesus gets famous in the whole village. Why? Because this guy prayed large. This guy prayed big. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. By this, my Father is valued. By this, my Father is honored. By this, my Father is getting loud in the nations if you bear much fruit. How big are your prayers? You know, we sang a song in that if you, you, know, if you say to that mountain, it will be moved. Have you, have, you, have you said to the mountain, will it be moved? Have you tried? Have you prayed for any stuff that's impossible? How big are your prayers? Pray large. you got a big God. Are you praying as large as the promises of God? Now, this is what's going to change the nation. 2 Corinthians says that in the light of those that are unbelievers, they, the God of this world has blinded their eyes, lest they see the light of the glory of God in the gospel of Christ. They can't see it. They can't see it. It's not a Muslim doesn't want to see it. It's that a Muslim can't see it. They need someone to pray. The word for revelation in the New Testament means to... The idea is like this. It's two-word revelation. You've got something that's under a veil. You can't see it. Revelation means to take off the veil. That's what revelation means. Pull off the veil. Pull aside the veil. So they can't see it because there's a veil. It's prayer. It's prayer that opens the door for Jesus' love to be manifold. You know what I love about Lake City is that you, we pray. You guys pray. You've got a ministry of prayer. We saw this firsthand. We, we lived in a in a Kazakh city uh, uh, for our first 10 years of ministry. Very dark city, 97% Muslim. Some of you have heard of our testimony. Five years working, nothing. I mean nothing. Uh, we talk about Jesus. People would laugh at us. It felt like it was drooling. You know, we start to talk and the words is like, kind of like drool. I'm not supposed to touch the microphone. Sorry, Dave. Uh, they, they, they drool just right down our shirt. Just nothing going on. And then five years into this, all heaven breaks loose. I mean, Muslims are falling under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, literally shaking in our living room. We had two girls knock on our, our, on our uh, teammate's door and open the door and said, we, know you, we heard you know the way to God. Can you tell us how to become followers of God? Okay, so this stuff you read in books and you don't believe, right? So I didn't believe it. So I said, that's got to be the KGB. There's no way. I mean, that stuff doesn't happen in real life. You know, we pray about it, but you don't actually believe it. When it happens. It's kind of like when Peter, they were praying, you know, for him to get out of prison. He knocks on the door, and they go, oh, it must be a ghost, because we're praying for him to get out, but we don't actually think he's getting Anyway, so we were praying for this stuff to happen. When it happens, we can't even believe it. People are getting visions of Jesus. People, uh, there was a woman that couldn't have, couldn't have a baby, which is a huge thing. Her, the husband's family was telling him to divorce her, because if she, that's the only reason you get married, is to have a baby. And she can have a baby. God gives her, she gets pregnant and has a baby, and the whole, her whole family just freaks out and starts coming to Jesus. And, and God is doing this stuff, and I look back and I think, the only thing I can say, we had great strategy. You know, I like strategy. We had great strategy. But it wasn't because of our strategy. It was because God did something we couldn't do. And I look back and I just think, Lord, what, what was it that was reproducible? It was, the only thing that can be reproducible is lots of prayer. We prayed for two years. There was a prayer meeting every Monday night that went on for 15 years to pray for Kazakhstan to come to the Lord. We had fasting. We had prayer. We did prayer walks as a team. We had prayer teams come to us. We had people all over the world praying for us. And I believe it was a result of prayer. And God did something we couldn't do, and it was miraculous. So, in the case of the kumuk, the yakin, and the no guy, what do we need? We need more prayer. How much prayer do we need? I don't know. I'll tell you when it happens. So, uh, I, I, there's this very funny story to me. Uh, Moses, 
gets called by God into the burning bush. Uh, so he's been 40 years out of Egypt, just living off of the nomad's life, and he gets, God comes to him in the burning bush and talks to him. Uh, and it's kind of funny because he's arguing with the bush. But it, um, so he talks to God and he says, God says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And you're going to bring them out and I'm going to save my people through you. And Moses said, what's the sign that you're going to be with me to go do that thing? God says, when you get back to this mountain with all the people, you'll know it was me. Okay, you don't find that funny? I find that real funny. Because that's not a big encouragement, you know. Like, go do the crazy stuff, and if you don't die, then you know it was me. <laughs> yeah, I find that kind of funny. Uh, so how much prayer is enough? Well, when you see it, you'll know. When you see it, you know. When you start seeing Nogai, Akin, and Kumik just following Jesus, and there's a movement, that was enough. Until then, let's pray large. Let's pray big prayers. Let's pray for the shaking of the nations. Let's pray large. Too. Let's act large. Let's live big. Live loud. Live large for Jesus. Live lives that count in the light of the nations. Think about your life and what it's going to do. You know, I told you that I'd give you some, some encouragement if you're struggling with, with complacency. In uh, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he, uh, he says, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. But here's his exhortation to them. He says, repent. Look at how far you've fallen. He said, consider the deeds that you used to do. And then do those. Repent. Look how far you've fallen. And do the deeds you used to do. If you're struggling with complacency, can you remember a time when Jesus was like the best thing that you could ever think of? You couldn't wait to get up in the morning to talk to him. You couldn't wait to talk to him. People thought you were nuts. Your family thought you'd kind of lost a little thing, was looking for psychological help for you. Can you remember that day? What was it like? What was the Bible like to you? What were relationships with like you? Jesus says to the Ephesians church, can you remember those days? Can you remember what you did? Do that. Do that stuff. Live large. Now look, I get it. It's not just about the stuff. But something that Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. This is the church that he said to Ephesians. This is how you get back to first love. Do the stuff again. Live large. Act large. If you're struggling with complacency, live large. You know, one of the biggest things about not feeling like you know whether you're sure of your own salvation is to tell someone else about salvation. You know, like when I was a math teacher... I said, you're really going to get this when you teach it. You know what? It's true. I taught calculus, and suddenly, like, it was crystal clear to me. Like, oh, that all makes sense. Now that I'm... Talk to people about Jesus. Live large. Live loud. Act large. And in the sight of the nations. Three, sacrifice. Sacrifice large. Sacrifice large. Fire falls on sacrifice. You need Jesus? You want to see fire falls on sacrifice. David... There's a plague in the land. He's seeking God. God says to it, it's your sin. You need to make a sacrifice. Guy goes out, finds where the presence of the Lord is, and it's on this, this guy's land. And so he says to the guy, look, I need to make an offering here to the Lord. I'm going to build an altar here. And the guy says, no problem, Caden. Here's the land. I'll even give you my ox, and I'll even give you the wood to start the fire. David said, oh, no, brother. I will not sacrifice to the Lord anything that costs me nothing. 
And he paid that man and sacrificed, and God turned aside the plague. Fire falls. Elijah goes there, and they're having a contest with the Baal. He lays out the wood. He puts water on the wood. He puts the sacrifice, puts more water, and he just obeys one simple prayer. God, come and show yourself great. And fire falls on the sacrifice. Sacrifice large. Sacrifice loud for Jesus. Tonight you're going to have a chance to, to sacrifice in a great uh, a way to give in a great way. You know, when I was in college, I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, probably my mom or dad, they gave me 100 bucks for my birthday, which was, seemed like a whole lot of money. And I had it in my wallet, and I had, you know, what was my normal money. It was 20 bucks and 5 bucks. And I was at church, and it was time for the offering, and I want to give. And so I opened my wallet. My buddy, you know, my roommate, looks over there, and he sees the 100 bucks. And he says, give the 100 bucks. Okay, now I'd like to say that I went, oh, praise Jesus. Uh, but instead I was thinking, dang. You know, so I whip out the hundred bucks and it was somewhat of, you know, a little bit of pride. And I throw the hundred bucks in and the guy's like, oh, dude, man, that's serious. I'm like, sorry, but you know what joy filled my heart? I thought, yeah, yeah, fire falls on sacrifice. This, this really encouraged me. So tonight we're going to talk about um, the, the can team is going to talk about different things, a way that we're going to reach uh, the, uh, the can and some, some projects we're going to help do as a church. How many of you are going to plan to be there tonight? How many of you plan? Okay, you just leave your hands up. If you're planning to be there tonight, great. So if you're not planning to be there tonight, no, leave your hands up, please. If you're not, if you're not, not can't make it, do it. Just look around. Just look around whose hands there. Okay, so before you leave here today, give one of those people your checkbook. <laughs> I'm serious. You want to you have a fire fall? Sacrifice large. Give someone else the chance to, to be generous on your behalf if you can't make it tonight. I know Americans are busy. I know Americans are busy, but give large. I'm going to tell you one story before we finish. Uh, we now have the chance, the opportunity at Global Teams to, to send some workers, and you'll hear about it. There's a guy named Tim Moore. You'll hear about more about him over the, the months because uh, Lake City is going to kind of partner with us and helping Tim Moore. But the director that we've got is a man named Maxet. And uh, Maxet was a Muslim in Karakal, Pakistan, Uzbekistan. And uh, he found out when he was 12 years old that he had been adopted, that his biological parents had, 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 had not raised him and given him away. And his life just became unraveled. He just, it was devastating to him to find out that his parents had given him away. And he was filled with such anger and, and lack of peace at this that he, he went to the imam, submitted himself to the imam after a couple years and said, I want to be a disciple of you. I want to become a Muslim disciple. And so he was going to the medrasa and he was studying the Quran. And, and, but he didn't find any peace. There was no joy in his life. And he was just being consumed with anger. He said, I used to go out with uh, other guys that were disciples of this imam and we'd beat up non-Muslims. You know, and it just some way to get our anger out. It beat up the Koreans and the Russians that happened to be uh, around there in town. He says, but I, I didn't as soon as I was boxing, I'd give him all this anger and energy to boxing, and I became a pretty good boxer, and I would go to this gym, and this boxing gym, and I'd be uh, practicing, and I, I got good at it, and there was another guy that would box there, and he had also been a Muslim, he was a follower of Jesus, and he said to me, hey, I hear you're the, uh, the disciple of this imam, that you're, you're wanting to become a, a Muslim teacher, he goes, yeah, I am, he goes, so you, uh, you learn your prayers in Arabic, is that right, he goes, yep, learn my prayers in Arabic, he says, do you, uh, do you speak Arabic, do you understand Arabic, and Moxit said, no, he said, the guy says to him, so uh, what, God can't understand if you pray to him in your own language? You have to learn Arabic? And he's a little flustered because he's like, yeah, every Muslim knows, you know, Arabic is the language that God speaks, you know, Allah speaks Arabic. And, but that really bothered him. He thought, well, why, am I, why can't I talk to God myself? 
You know, why do I have to learn through Arabic? I don't even understand. And so he'd have this back and forth with this guy over a period of months. And, and uh, one time the guy says, I mean, they talked about different things. One guy said, hey, listen, Mark said, I want to tell you something. He said, God loves you. Mark says, this, this tough guy. And he goes, that makes no sense. My mom and dad didn't love me. They gave me away. How could God possibly love me? That is, that is nonsense. But this thing tormented him for two months. He couldn't get away from the thought that God loved him. And so after two months, he finally comes to this guy at the gym and he goes, look, I know this is crazy. He says, but you said God loves me. If that's true, can you tell me how? So the guy begins to explain about creation and what happened at the fall and and the need to have our hearts cleansed and the blood sacrifice and that Jesus became this, this sacrifice. And every Muslim understands the idea of sacrifice. And he became the sacrifice for you. And he just said, I, I want that. I, I'm so full of anger and I have no peace in my life. And he said something. It wasn't spectacular. There were no lights he spit, But something like oil was like poured on me. And it just started coming down. And it like filled my soul. And, and I felt this peace and joy in my heart that I'd never had before. And he said, so and in that moment... The Holy Spirit gave me the gift of the evangelist, and I started telling every Muslim I could think of about Jesus, about these things that I've experienced. And he said, and then I looked around, and there were like 97 districts in my, in my, my region, like counties or something like that. He said, I want every county to have some people in it that know about Jesus that can tell people. And in two and a half years, two, three years, I can't remember exactly, they planted a small house church in all 97 of these districts where people were Muslims before. Now, this gathered quite a bit of attention, as you can imagine, and the police were on him. He was in prison. He was in jail three times. And they let him out, and he'd go back and do the same thing, and they'd haul him into jail. And the last time they hauled him to jail, they took his documents and said, look, you've got to clean up your act. His friend was in the police, and his friend was, uh, you know, liked him and said, listen, I know from the authorities on high that they're planning to go to your house. They're going to take you into custody, and they're going to throw away the key. They're not going to let you out again. So they got him into hiding, and, and then they took him to the border of Kazakhstan, which is just north of Uzbekistan. They were going to try and smuggle him into Kazakhstan. They dressed him up in all rags of clothes, and he pretended like he was a sheep, a cow herder. And so he went up to the border, and he said to the border guards, hey, you seen my cow? You seen my cow? And he's going down the fence and patting the fence, and he's talking to border guards. Yeah, you seen my cow? Have you seen my cow? And he finds a little hole in the fence, and he goes through on the other side, and then he talks to the Kazakh guys. Hey, have you seen my cow? Have you seen my cow? And then he eventually gets back into the village and he gets hidden by some brothers that are waiting for him in a village. Well, the next day they said, you can't be next to the border. You've got to get out of here. You've got to, to go further inland so that they can't find you here. So early in the morning, they put him in a taxi and he's going on, on the major highway. And the highway is just backed with cars. And the Soviet days, every often they used to have these security checks. And they were kind of after the breakup of the Soviet Union, they didn't have any money to do it anymore. But this one's open again. And they're stopping all the cars. And while the cars just stop waiting for the security check, a cop leans in the car, sees an empty seat, and sits down right next to Moxette in the back seat, a cop. And Moxette's like, oh, Lord Jesus, couldn't, couldn't you have done better than this? <laughs> you know, I'm fleeing. So he says, I'm trying to bend asleep. Now, if you'd like to hear the end of that story, tonight, you get to hear about Moxette, because Moxette's now the director for all the Forever Soviet Union for Global Teams, helping us reach it. It's a fantastic story, and, uh, you know, maybe someone will tell you. The person you send the checkbook with, Kevin. <laughs> we have a great king. We have a great king. He's going to be honored in the sight of the nation, so we're going to pray large. We're going to act large. We're going to sacrifice large for the sake of his great name. 
Perhaps you're sitting here today and going, yeah, I want to do all that stuff, and man, I cannot believe that there are people that don't know Jesus. I can't sit here and be honest and say, I will leave this place and not do something about it. If that's the kind of fire that's burning in your heart, then God's calling you to go, to be Lake City's representation to these, and I believe maybe the Lord be calling you to work in Dagestan. If that's you, know that Lake City has a great heritage of sending people, of sending missionaries. My wife was sent here. So talk, Pastor Eric is right here. Get a hold of him and say, look, I I need to explore this. I really think God's calling me to do something among the nations. I want to live large, not just in the side of the nations, but I think God's calling me to live in the midst of the nations to do this thing. Father, we love you. We thank you. We have a great, large, loud king that loved this large. He loved this loud. He loved this great. And we want to give back to you, Lord Jesus, some of the glory that you've shared with us. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these people who have for years prayed, who have for years given, and have seen fruit. And eternity will sound with praise to Jesus because prayer is played in this place. Father, let us do more. Grace us to do more. Press us into Jesus for a fuller revelation of our great King so we might bring Him even greater honor and glory. Amen.